Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb And welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day, one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Dave. And I'm your other host, Sean. And once again, joining us, our special guest from Pele Media, it's Kyle. Welcome hey back. guys. Happy to be here on a Friday. Thank you for having me. Oh. Glad to have you with us today. Yeah, it's... we're so excited to have you. It's, it's, been, good. it's been great. All right, so we got our sweep removes now. <laughs> we're saying our prayers. We're going into minute 48. <laughs> All right, so well, in minute 48, we see Rita is astonished and a little bit confused. So Phil matches her in, in drinking and toasting habits. Uh, our local bartender gives uh, a hint that he may be one of uh, Mrs. Lancaster's lackey on the Council of Magic. and seems to know knows he's on to Phil, Phil's tricks. Uh, next, we see Phil and Rita in a candy shop and, you know, remarking Phil remarks how well he knows this town and continuing his mental log on Rita's likes and dislikes. And we then we finish up in a local German dining hall for dinner, and we're talking about life goals and living in mountains. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So yeah, minute forty-eight. We got her. she's she's stunned because he's one up her on her world piece, so she <laughs> yeah. can't. I can't shoot him down. I really had it set up. I was just going to shoot him down. <laughs> yeah. So we get we we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Little Phil's, amen. <laughs> Just a little moment of silence, kind of making well, and and I'm kind I'm on Phil's side here. When Phil was a little goofy with his toast to the groundhog, and she was all like, "Oh, world peace," and now she's like, she's she's already drinking, and he's you know he says his little prayer and amen, (laughs) and then she looks a little sheepish, like, "Oh, was I not supposed to be drinking yet?" (laughs) Yeah, that's oh yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, at, 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 at second five, she does that, that side eye. Like, she's looking yeah. at him as she's drinking. And, yeah, he's, he's just staring forward, guys, little, his little prayer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she's just, she's just like, she, like, she can't find that reason to either kind of shut him down or to, uh, to be, you know, to, to, to give him that cold, that cold shoulder like she did earlier. Mm-hmm. Or, I should say, on a previous day. Yeah. So, Kyle, what do you think about Mr. Bartender here in, in his green vest? Uh, yeah, I think he's part of that inner circle we were talking about. You know, he's uh, <laughs> he uh, does go pretty heavy on the water. We have that established with yeah, him. Well, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious if he was a uh, just a guy who was already a bartender there. You know, sometimes they do that kind of thing. They come in and they're like, uh, you know, why not have the actual bartender do it? Or if he was a, like a local actor or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but it feels like a very genuine performance, you know, not not uh, I, I, I would love to know this guy, this actor's backstory. But um, yeah, he's a uh, kind of, you know. There is a little bit of a magical quality about him, I guess, uh, but not the same kind of like the uh, the bartender in The Shining or anything. But <laughs> but close. But I think you're yeah. yeah. So this is uh, he's, I'm sorry, but he's like because that's a, you know what it is it is because of, yeah second ten he's really looking at us like mm-hmm. he like because uh, we know where the bar is yeah. and we know where Rita and Phil are like right. he would have to be actually looking 
He, he would have to move his eyes more to the right, the other way. Yeah. If you're looking at them. But he's looking at us. us. So he is... He he knows that we're watching this, mm-hmm. and we know, and so he goes, "I know, I know you're watching Phil. Now I know, and and he's doing that head shake like I know Phil's trying to, he's trying to make time with Rita. Yeah, yeah. It, that, that 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 reverse shot is a little bit strange. It's kind of quick, and it comes, you know, it's like um, it's almost a little bit more student filmy than it is Harold Ramis picture. You know, it's like when you see a student film and they show somebody's hand going down to pull, you know, like turn a handle on a door and open it up. It's like otherwise, how would we have known that door was open? You know, it's like <laughs> otherwise, how would we know that the order? You know, it couldn't just be like over the shoulder, you know, or or, or have him already in this shot with them or something. It's mm-hmm. it was a little. It's not hacky at all, but it was a little bit like it took me out. Out for a second you know hmm, okay or, sure whatever yeah it, it's quick it's just a second or two but he gives us that look and then like his head shake like oh you believe these people yeah. and i think <laughs> you know my, my first time through i thought it was it kind of played into my literal interpretation of mm-hmm. this movie of that people get stuck in loops and they're doing the same thing and even if you think you're being a lot of times when we think we're being unique or clever or off the cuff that we're just, we're being cliche. And as a bartender, he's seen lots of guys try to pick up lots of women. And he probably knows, like he eyes fell and like, all right, this guy doesn't drink sweet vermouth. Like this is part of his, (laughs) part of his play. And that's why he's shaking his head. But so that was kind of where I started from. But as we've been watching and seeing what's going on in this, this town, this so-called town of Punxsutawney that the, you know, the magic going on that, you know, he's, it's a, it seems like there's a little bit more than that. And it's only, you know, maybe it's two seconds, a second and a half that we get this guy. But yeah, I agree with you, David, that the geometry doesn't match up. He's looking at us. He's not look, he's looking past them at us. He's given us the head shake. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, five days ago or 10 days ago, however many days it is, this guy was straight up bourbon drinker. And now look at him, sweet vermouth with a twist. And he's saying a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm shaking my head. Just, I, know, <laughs> I know you can't hear it, so I have to say it. Because that's the thing is that when we go back the day before Groundhog Day, Phil never visited the bar. Because when, when they went to the Pennsylvania mm-hmm. Hotel, he said, I don't want to be here. And she's like, all right, well, Larry's dropping off at the band breakfast. And that's really it. And that's how that, that day ends. With Phil, just what we're guessing is just like either sleeping or he's napping or he's something because he doesn't want to be around anyone. He just spends the rest of his time, I'm guessing, just like lying in bed of the uh, of the, uh, of the bed and breakfast. So, yeah, he never spends that time. So this is technically the first time, you know, in this day. The bartender would have uh, seen him do it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it it goes past. Oh, I'm a bartender. I see these pickup lines too. Hey, hey, viewer, I know you're there, <laughs> and I, I know Phil's playing this game. And that's the thing is that he sees Mrs. Lancaster in the morning, and he, and 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 most of the time he will see this guy at the hotel bar that night. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so now, yeah, yeah. So then we cut to the sweet shop. And they're picking up, uh, what is it, like fudge and white chocolate, I hear mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, this must be, the. the, I mean, that's the thing is we got to keep it. This is a continuation of this current day because Mm -hmm. he's might have taken, he's might have taken women here to the candy store. He hasn't taken Rita to this candy store. So he knows what he likes and he knows what he gets. 
So maybe he's buying the same type of candies that he was getting Nancy or any of the other women. He would take them here. And he's like, hey, I gotta, gotta get them on the booze. I'll get them on the chocolate. We walk around town, play with the, play with the snowballs of the kids, maybe something like that. You know, he's probably right now on this autopilot of things that he takes his dates to. Mm-hmm. He knows all the spots in the evenings. He says, we'll go here, we'll have dinner, we'll go there. It's cliche romantic stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So does he take, does Phil take Rita to see Heidi too? <laughs> Is that part of his, part of his circuit, part of his, you know, his plan? Like, all right, we hit the bar, we get them loosened up, we get the chocolate going, we hit the uh, the Heidi too, and then back to the room for the, the fake fire. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about Heidi too. Because I don't, I don't know that she's a Heidi two person. She seems a little bit more high class to me. <laughs> you know, Heidi two might be a little bit beneath her. Yeah. Keep well, I guess mind, also I still, I'm still, I'm telling you right now, Sean. I still believe Heidi two as a Wild West adventure film. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think that if it's, I'm just saying, like, you know, is she the same Swiss Alps? That's boring. Like. You know, like and like, why? Why would you want to make a sequel? You gotta make it bigger. You gotta make it flashier. Yeah. She, I think, <laughs> I, I think she meets a cowboy character that he likes to dress up as, and they, and she has fun in a like how the West was fun type of manner. Is Heidi? Now, I've I've never seen the well. There was the original Heidi movie in 1937 with um, the Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, there you go. So I did the quick look up. I was going to ask: Is she an orphan? And then I, in IMDb, Heidi, 1937, a plucky little orphan girl gets dumped abruptly into her gruff hermit grandfather's care. So, yeah. So what I think happens is Heidi finds out she's got like a long lost uncle <laughs> who's in San Francisco. So she comes to America and she's making her way across country. And she's like Heidi alone in the West. and Or she's on a wagon train. She's trying to get oh, to her oh, uncle in San Francisco. Uh- uh, oh no! What sequel? What do? You, what's what's the catalyst for sequel? Gold. There's, there's you got the you got the, the secret gold. <laughs> the, the secret cur- gold. Curly secret gold is gonna be Heidi in the secret gold. It's gonna be Heidi secret gold. There you uh, go. George's All right, I'm taking it a episode. step further here, fellows. She gets a letter in the mail that they're secret gold, but it's in Brazil. And what we have is actually the sequel to Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid, where Heidi Ooh. goes and tries to actually find the gold and <laughs> oh. smuggle it back across the border. The gold. Yeah. Or in uh, Bolivia. In, yeah. <laughs> Where she meets Simon Bolivar. Let's keep going. Let's workshop this here, fellas. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh, man. George is going to love this episode. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, yeah. So, he, I said he gets his variety pack of, like, certain candies that um, he likes the ladies to get. So, you know, we continue the interrogation. Um, when he when he says that line about um, the small town people, I actually do kind of believe he's being honest about it. I, I don't mm. know if this is a. I think he's he's going accustomed to these people and their ways, and I think he's. And once again, when you say accepted, Sean, I think he's accepted. Mm-hmm. Like you know, these were these are these people. These are their lives. Yeah, you know what? It's not it's not annoying anymore. It's actually like it's nice and quaint. I like it. What do you think? Yeah, there, there's certainly a turning point where the early Phil like can't imagine this life. And I mean, he's coming from Pittsburgh. It's not like he's coming from L.A. or New York or, you know, Tokyo or Mumbai. He's not coming from a huge city, but he probably thinks that there's there's a hustle and a bustle and there's 
you know, there's a there's a row of restaurants for every different type of cuisine I could eat, you know, visit a, a different culture, a different type of food every night at a different restaurant and theater and all this other stuff. And this small town where there's one theater that, you know, the, the entirety of culture is the one theater showing Heidi too. And the nightlife is you got your hotel bar, you got your bowling alley bar, you know, those are your options kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And at some point he does turn that he's like, well, you know what? There's a certain simplicity that you don't, you know, you don't need a different type of cuisine every night. You don't need a different show all the time that there is something, there's something of value in the simplicity. Is he, has he reached that point yet? I could see that he's, he's getting there. I wouldn't say he's all the way there, but I could, I could see that. Yeah. He's getting there a certain appreciation. Mm-hmm. Would, Honestly, would you agree, Kyle? Yeah, I would. I, I don't like the, the term of saying small town people. Cause I think it kind of otherizes uh, mm-hmm. people like that. I, I, I would say that he, you know, I'm, I'm sure by this point he sees the charm of rural America or smaller towns. Uh, but you kind of have to still say like, Hey, you know, it's not that these are small town people. They're, they're also Americans. It's just, a, you know, it's, there has to be a better word for it. That's less pedantic, you know? Yeah. Uh, because true. when I was watching this, you know, and I, I literally just moved back to my town, which is a, you know, moderately sized American town from a town, a population of 4,000 where I spent the last year. And, uh, I, I kind of feel this, you know, when I first got there, I was like, man, there's like a pizza restaurant and then a Mexican restaurant that's run by all white people and they don't know how to make good Mexican food. <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of felt the same way that maybe he did when he first got there. But, you know, over time you, you do see like, like things might move a little bit slower in a town like Punxsutawney, but you know there's still people that you know uh, it, it, there there is more of a of a realness of kind of like the value system that I think people in smaller population towns have. But the thing is to not by this point he is a small town person. Mm-hmm. He's probably spent more time there than the majority of the people who were born and will die in Punxsutawney. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I, I, I think that um, he's learning. He's getting there. This is part of the process. I think he, you're right. I think he does genuinely like like these people. He spent enough time to know that they're salt of the earth, honest to God, you know, people that aren't used to the bustle of a city like Pittsburgh. But there's still the point where he has to stop identifying them as like something else and part of the fabric of something that he makes up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good point. And one thing we see that um, there's 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 not a lot of franchises Mm-hmm. that we're seeing in Punxsutawney that I and and just looking at like the pictures that are on the wall behind behind Reed and Phil the old black and white pictures I can imagine like this this particular sweet shop has been there for generations and it's recipes handed down through the family and all you know handmade versus maybe maybe he's got a shop that when he wants to you know, when he wants to buy a gift for a lady or a Valentine's present or, or just treat himself, there's probably a shop back in Pittsburgh where he can get the the finest truffles from Paris and it's got Swiss chocolate and, and all this great stuff that's imported. And that's it's nice to have that exotic stuff from around the world and, and have that kind of access. Whereas what he's getting here is it's all handmade. It's all local. It's all the recipes and the techniques that have been handed down through this family. And it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's different and it's valid and it's just as good. It's not, it's not from Paris or, or Switzerland or anything like that. It's not Swiss chocolates, but it's, it's Punxsutawney. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think he, you know, he, he does. And there's a reason that, well, I think you start, change can happen like outside in, it can happen inside out. Mm-hmm. And I think this this may be something that it started as an act. He, it started in his um, in his process of trying to woo the women and and make these social connections of well I'll do this and and that and it kind of starts as steps. But I think it would grow on him just out of habit of of visiting this shop with all his different dates and and day after day that you know he he would start to appreciate it seeing what's in front of him. And not take it for granted anymore. Yeah. Okay. So now, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. no I, I, I'm trying to get my, my train of thought here. Uh, well, I wanted to ask white chocolate. I'm not a fan of it. Are you a fan mm. of it? I feel like it leaves a weird like film in my <laughs> mouth. Personally, that's that's a really good question. I want to say that when I think about white chocolate, I'm I'm like, nah, you know. I don't like it. And when I have it, I'm usually like, well, this is better than I remember it being. And I, I wonder if it's the visual visual aspect of it uh, just being so different from regular chocolate, which I love. But you give me like a white chocolate with like cookies and cream type, you know, bar or something mm, in it, that, that's yeah. as good as anything else. I'll, I'll totally True. chow down on I'll that. that yeah, yeah I, I definitely don't hate white chocolate. Not my favorite of the chocolates, <laughs> but uh, but definitely something that um, – yeah, it's I, I I do agree with the the film the filmy kind of aspect of it. It's not there's something textural about it that doesn't quite feel right. But now, I'll take it, it over no chocolate. Oh yeah, better than no yeah. chocolate. Is it? Jen, I I have a feeling it's I I don't eat a lot of white chocolate. Is it sweeter? I feel like it's sweeter mm. than than a milk chocolate. Certainly sweeter than a dark chocolate. Yeah, I think that I think that's what it is. Like, um, I, I yeah, I, I it's kind of funny. Like my my taste for chocolate is definitely getting closer to like my mom. Because she definitely likes very dark chocolates with, uh, with like fruit centers and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I love the milk chocolates and the light, the lighter fares and stuff. And I find myself slowly going like, no, nah, just get dark, dark, dark chocolate salt. Just throw some salt, maybe the caramel on it, and that's that's it for me. So, um, yeah, I definitely like. I, yeah, for me, it's I'm getting closer to having the dark, bitter type of flavor. Not cacao. I'm not like that far in where people like. <laughs> oh, I gotta get the, the what's it called? The Giada, what's it called? The Lord Giardella, not Giardella. What's it called? Oh, come yeah, on, G- fa- Giardelli. Is that what it is? The, the fancy chocolate name with starts with a G and yes, yeah. The that's letters the just keep going. Okay, or the Godiva. <laughs> get maybe that, that too. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like I'm not that level yet. Yeah, I've kind of like uh, yeah, certainly when I was younger, I was into the more sweeter, but. Yeah, as I've grown older, I've come to appreciate more the just more the chocolate flavor and not just the the sugar and the sweetness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do live above a candy store, so like <gasps> I do like to go. I mean, like right here, right next to me, I got a couple of Warheads, and I got this stuff called Quick Blast Sour Candy and a Firehouse Spray. I'm just gonna <laughs> hit that up, blueberry flavor. There's something about a, a candy store that kind of is uh, the charm of like a small town too. When I think of like things that a small town has, I picture like the candy store from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory that Charlie <laughs> goes to in the beginning, yeah. and like um, uh, you know, it's 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 the kind of thing that you would do on a date like this. You know, like I can't think of anything more charming than hey, let's go into the chocolate store and get some fudge and walk and talk about life or something like that. It seems like a perfect date type thing. So I could see I. I do do think we were talking earlier about this as part of his uh you know kind of setup for what he does with every uh 
woman that he meets. And this certainly falls within the things that I would do in that situation, <laughs> partially just because I love fudge, too, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it, um, uh, yeah, it, it does seem kind of like the, the kind of thing that fits in well with Punxsutawney. Um. Yeah, so, oh, oh here, uh, I, I was, Sean's probably excited to hear about this. We get a nice callback to Deja Vu. Yeah. So Rita, she gets suspicious, and it almost is kind of weird. Like, wh- like you know, why is Rita getting a Deja Vu uh, to to Phil, you know? Um, they never, you know, for her perspective, they were never in this candy store before. You know, they'd never been in this town before today. So it is kind of odd, like, if, if somehow, like, where she's getting a peek behind the curtain and, and uh, you know, like a little flash of something's coming at her. Yeah. Well, and we, we, we've talked about this a, well, a little bit on the show and a little bit in the, the Facebook group on some of the parallels between Groundhog Day and Westworld and how in, in, in Westworld in the, you know, in this, this, fictional theme park they have robots that are reset every day and they're not supposed to have any memories they're supposed to be able to like just reset everything so that everything's the same every day and there's a memory leak and some of the some of the robots remember and they know the loops that they're going through and they realize like oh gee these people come on vacation and they just go wild and they have wild west gunfights and all this stuff and and we're not supposed to we're not supposed to feel or care or remember anything. And there's kind of that memory leak. And is this like, is this kind of happening here? Is that what's happening with Rita where she's a little bit getting a hint of a memory that she's been here before? Mm. Or is it just your garden variety? Deja it's just, the only thing I think of is that like, if, unless, you know, she's thinking about some other time she was at a candy store. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like she has, and, and, you know, from our perspective here, she should have no reason to have deja vu. So mm-hmm. She was not with him in the store on these good terms before. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, then I wonder, because this could be, we, we see, well, he's done it before and he's going to do it again, where he tries to open up to Rita, like, I'm having a problem. I've, I've you know, I've done this, this report from Gobbler's Knob already. It's the same day over and over again. Yeah. And she doesn't believe him. She doesn't understand him. And that's a little understandable. Like, that's kind of a weird thing to try to explain to someone in real life. And but he doesn't go like this is kind of an opening. She yeah. kind of gives him a little opening like, oh, I feel like deja vu. And he's like, you know, he can you be, see it, too? Can yeah. you see it, too? It's just like, just like <laughs> they're all around us. Mrs. Lancaster, she knows. He just like grabs her, just like <laughs> it's like Truman Show. Like you just know where there's yeah. cameras watching. <laughs> yeah, so she she kind of gives him a little bit of the opening, but he's he's on his plan. He's got his layout. He's like, all right, we do drinks in the bar, then we hit the fudge shop, and then we go get dinner, and then he's kind of got it laid out, and he's not. Again, he's he's sticking he's he's sticking to what's in his head already. Wait, his so preconceived. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. See, that's I was about to. I, I, see, I don't think, I don't think candy store than restaurant. I think this is the end of one day. He's going to use this to get more information out of her because I don't feel it's feeling weird. Like buy candy and, and then, then go then to dinner. Say, Let's get dinner. It's like okay. we, we just kill our appetite on booze and candy. <laughs> like like, and I I don't know where the where we're sitting at in the afternoon. But I yeah. feel like 
he's I feel like he says they drink at the bar and I think they have a good they actually have a good time there and he's like and now they they mosey about the town and then he gets he gets more and because I feel like he I don't think he thinks at this point to be honest I don't think he's like I could get her to 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 to, to I don't think I can get back to the bed and breakfast at by this point like I'm still doing my uh, uh my my um gathering intelligence phase I think and that's my opinion. Is that I don't think he's like I don't think I could get her. I may be able to, but I think he's being like just let me just grab some information. We'll walk around town, and I'll just I'll just you know get every little thing out of her. And then another day, he's able to take a more intellectual approach, and he says, "Okay, now I can take her to, to dinner. You know, I've wooed her enough now. With this, we can now go to the dinner phase. That's what I think. Treats her to, to booze and candy, and then he has then he has enough information and confidence." To, to that she won't turn him down he said let's now we go to dinner and then he says eventually you know now we'll go with the snow you know snowman and other yeah things. and then like that's why i think I, said, yeah. I don't think he's after this i don't think they're gonna then go to dinner and go to the snowballs yeah. and go, i think he's just it's he he knows mm-hmm. he, but he's got time that's the one thing he knows he's got he's got time yeah mm-hmm. no i i agree as i was saying it I'm thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense. You get the chocolate first, then you go to dinner. So I think so. Just to kind of touch base with where I think we are on the count, I think we get into day 10. I think where we start this, where we start the minute is by my count is the ninth Groundhog Day that we've seen. And and there may be, I know there's others days. Certainly when they show him, um, when he does his little bank heist, we know that he spent days planning that. So I know there's more days we haven't yeah, seen. And but he's seen Heidi probably a hundred times. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he, yeah, we see he's seen Heidi a hundred times. But just going by the days we see, assuming that this is one day from the bar to the sweet shop and the fudge, I think that's day nine. And then yeah, when we go to dinner, that must be a different day. And I, that's I'm going to yeah. call that day ten. Yeah, I I like to think he has enough information. He knows he's confident enough that they could go that he could get her to go to the dinner. Yeah, he turns, oh, he so so let's to a dinner. let's segue then and okay. and and talk a little bit about dinner. So we're in this is a German restaurant, which is appropriate, I think, for that area of the country. But yeah. this was actually filmed in in Chicago. This is a restaurant called Heidelberger Foss. Oh my god! Ooh, that sounds good. On on North Lincoln, and I don't know if it's there anymore, but it was an old, um, an old German restaurant, uh, kind of a a a fixture of the neighborhood. And I I fished up an old. This is from 1985 in the Chicago Tribune. This is uh, a review of the restaurant, and they describe the menu, and they they have some interesting things. So this is Heidelberger Foss. It's a 4300 North Lincoln Ave. Uh, neighborhood institution, they call it, for, uh, and I'll just kind of, I'm not going to read the whole review, but just kind of hit some of the points about the menu. So starters at Heidelberger Foss include a bit of cottage cheese, oh, some herring man. salad, and pickled red beets. Ooh. So this is like some old-time Europe Europe stuff. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's what she's eating. I feel like she'd be eating the salad with yeah. the beets. Yeah, so like herring and pickled beets. Yeah, like a beet salad. Those look like a little red there. And then so they get and then for soups we've got uh, liver dumpling soup is the house specialty. 
Hmm. Which is a, a clear, uncomplicated beef broth and big liver dumplings so light it's hard to believe it could have so deep, uh, big and deep a liver flavor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't believe it's not it's, it's liver. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe this is so deep in the liver. Um, and then they, you've also got if if you're not into liver dumplings, you've got a a split pea soup, which is described as light and fresh. And there's also a cream of duck soup, what? which uh, which they which the author here calls rich and unctuous. Yeah. I'm sorry, in uh, what? Unctuous. Okay, that's a yeah, new one for that's me. That's the cream of duck soup. So I, I, w- I would give that a try. Yeah, pea soup uh, and, and the duck soup, I definitely give a shot to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you got beer to wash it down. God knows that. You know, that's that that classic. That's every time you think of Oktoberfest. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh, you see, yeah, you see this just German woman holding four huge, like, I don't know what, what are they? Uh, are they are they solid leaders? Like, I just... think so. Yeah, it looks like a leader, and we yeah, and we see the the waitress coming away from the bar with with two fistfuls, the, yeah. the four big liters of beer. I assume I want... she's, they're playing with European like you know uh, measurements. Nice, yeah. I assume that those are four total liters of beer. Yeah. Brunhilde's so. got skills. She's pretty good at carrying all those at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and then so and then we the, the camera pans over to Phil and Rita deep in in conversation about life and careers and living in mountains at high altitudes. <laughs> so is this an extension of where the Rome speech? Do you think that this is part of something that he picked up on that uh, kind of led into this? Because it just sounds so. I mean, obviously it's made up, and he's just trying to say yeah. something that he heard her before. But I, I, I feel like that was something from a from a previous uh, German dinner that had gone awry that he made a note of. Yeah. Well, it just yes. It just <laughs> short answer yes. The long answer it doesn't really make sense. Well, one particular thing he's saying. I wish we could all live in the mountains at high altitude, which is like if you if he if that's where he sees himself in five years, if that's what he wants to do. Great. But if we all lived in the mountains, well, then the mountains would just be the cities. It'd be the same. It'd it'd be Pittsburgh, but at higher altitude. I wish we could all live in the mountains. So why? You know, I know I wish I could live in the mountains Everyone else stay down in the valley. Leave me alone. Why, would, why does he want everyone up in the mountains with him? That Yeah, I think he's just he's just talking. I, 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 I think, yeah, he's all right. He's pulling. I think I said he's yeah, he's pulling from. Yeah, he's pulling from some small talk he made with Rita when she mentioned Europe stuff. He's pulling from the his imagery of Heidi. So he's seen <laughs> Heidi so many times. He's like, that's that's it, man. That's where you got to go. You got to go up in the mountains. Gotta find yourself a a a, 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 a crazy little uncle that mm-hmm. you're gonna live up with, and then uh, yeah, you're gonna, yeah. and and I mean yeah, he's saying it because yeah, half he's probably just imagining Heidi, the, Heidi too, and all her adventures. So is he? Yeah. So is he? Is all this stuff? He's just pulling out of Heidi. There's you know, she starts off high in the mountains, then she goes to Rome for a day on her way to America and the West. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, I want to live in the mountains. <laughs> The sun in Rome in the afternoon, and I'm going to dress up like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> what a life. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's just patterning his life. He just keeps going to see this movie and, and, and acts it out every day. 
But I mean, she's she's interesting because like she, I don't know what she, I'm trying to figure out she's nibbling on. I couldn't tell if it's like uh, celery or maybe it's a duck bone for all we know. Like I don't know if they had some kind of uh, piece of fowl. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I would see Rita like yeah. playing with a, a chicken bone. I'd be playing with a chicken bone, but I don't think <laughs> Rita would be. It almost looks like a toothpick, but then it looks like she takes a bite of it. So it's some kind of thin, maybe it's a noodle, like a firm noodle. Yeah. Yeah. I took it as like either a stir or a straw, but. Yeah. Could, could just be that. Yeah. Could be playing uh, with a drinking straw. Yeah. Only because I know that's what I do. I start to pick my teeth at the table with yeah. a stir and drive my wife crazy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, what were we talking about, honey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all this plaque I just... No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this place is so colorful. This reminds me of, like, um, you know, one of the, like... This kind of reminds me of those, like, those steakhouses that, like, they're not exactly a franchise, but they had, like, um... They had, like, a few, uh... Mm-hmm. Like, a few chains. Like, there was one place... Uh, it was a steakhouse called Charlie Brown's. That was, oh, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know about the Charlie Browns? Oh, okay. Yeah, I know Charlie Browns. Yeah. yeah. Are they still around? I think there's, like one or two like my friend and i went to one they had like an all you can eat rib night and the ribs were like all right but uh they had some other german feet it was like it was october so they had other german food too yeah. so i got some schnitzel and i actually was like their beet cabbage is pretty good so that's what that's like the image i have when i'm looking at this place i'm like yeah it reminds me of one of those mm-hmm. uh, uh, charlie browns yeah i can see that well um, so uh what else? Yeah. I mean, well, 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 Dave and I, we're going to have more of this restaurant next week. But, Kyle, you will not be around. But is there – so anything else? What else do you want to say about about German restaurants, about my, mountain living, about Heidi? <laughs> There's a German place in Pittsburgh. It's a chain that's across the, the globe, actually, called – I think it's a Hoffenbrau, mm-hmm. which uh, they've got in a lot of major cities. That my, my wife and I lived in Pittsburgh for about three years, and that was our go-to uh, Friday night when we wanted to go like have a fun time. We'd just go over there and drink, and I miss that place very much. <laughs> and uh, uh, this one looks pretty good as well. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. And my other thoughts are just uh, it's been a real joy being on here with you guys and talking about this uh, this fantastic movie. So thanks for having me on. It was a good week. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was just fun. Thank you for coming by. This has been great. We've been fun picking your brain, <laughs> picking at your your Ramus and Murray knowledge, getting your your eye on eye on things. Yeah, you know, have you have you guys talked much about the uh, the fact that the Ramus and Murray kind of had a falling out over this movie? We talked a little yeah, bit about it. Yeah, we've we've touched on a little bit. We we haven't gotten too far into it because I I wasn't able to find a lot of detail. It sounds to me like Murray was going through a divorce at the time of the filming mm-hmm. of the film, and it kind of led to some problems, and Harold Ramis was trying to keep uh, keep everything going, I guess, the whole time, and there were some conflicts. And, you know, it's just one of those things that um, when you look at Bill Murray's career post-Groundhog's Day and maybe pre-Rushmore, there's a lot of bad stuff in there. Yeah. And uh, it's I, I kind of think that he spiraled out there for a while, and you know, I know the relationship was never really quite the same after Groundhog's Day. And it's just, it's one of those things, it's just like, you know, you see like Harold Ramis passed away a few years ago, and you know, Bill Murray at the Oscars said something like, the Oscar goes to Harold Ramis for Ghostbusters and Groundhog's Day. And I kind of felt there was a bit of, um, 
of pause taken there kind of like you know what could have been you know like what other could have pr- productions could these guys have done you know yeah. had they not kind of gone off and um it's just it's just a real shame it's kind of a cloud that hangs over this movie because out of that conflict i mean this is, comes some great art mm-hmm. and I, I think it was like uh um bill murray and I, I know you guys have talked about this it kind of like really re- retooled this script to give it a lot more depth and uh it this movie could have been a very standard comedy had he not done that and uh i I think there was a lot of conflict with bill and with harold on the set and i i don't know if that added to what really makes this movie magical but man uh given what this movie was going up against it's it's just a miracle that it came out uh being as fantastic as it as it did yeah yeah and so yeah there were a couple things going on one was like you said bill had some some personal issues and i think i think it was maybe two or three years later when he got a divorce, but there was clearly something happening in his personal life that affected um, his, his attitude on set and the way he treated um, the other actors and Ramus. Mm-hmm. And that, that was part of it. And I think another part of it um, probably just adding to you start off where you're not in a good mood and something that might be small becomes something big. And one of the things I had heard is that there was a lot of disagreements between uh, Ramis and Murray about this movie and one wanted it to be a little more serious and philosophical and the other wanted it to be more of just kind of a traditional comedy more in line with the other movies they had made together mm-hmm. and I had always assumed Murray was the comedian and, and Ramis was the serious one and I was a little bit surprised maybe I'm the only one I was surprised to learn it's actually the other way around right yeah. where Ramis wanted to make the traditional comedy and it was it was Murray who was pulling things in the the more serious direction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you look at the this is the last of the six movies where they work together either um, either with Ramis as a writer or uh, or writer slash actor alongside Murray. And I mean, that lineup is it's it's Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters one and two. And, and then this, and that's like, those are six really good movies. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So yeah, when you say, imagine what, what, what could have been. And, and I know they, they did reconcile before Ramis passed, which, uh-huh. which is nice, which is glad to hear. But there's a, a large block of time in there where they weren't talking. And it is, it is really a shame. It's one of those things that just, uh, you know, whenever you... <laughs> don't mean to to get like this at the end of the show, but if you've got that kind of relationship going on in your life, it's best to keep an internal perspective and think about, you know, like before I go off the deep end and go off on this son of a bitch I'm talking to here, mm-hmm. you know, think about what could be. But, um, you know, I'm glad we do have this, this movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame and a bit of a contrast, the lesson of the movie yeah. about living in the moment and letting things go and, and, looking outside yourself and in a certain amount of selflessness mm-hmm. and that it, they kind of missed, missed the point of the movie that somehow they made this great thing and either one of them or both didn't understand what they were doing. Um, and I'll circle around to, to what we're doing. It's part of the reason why I, I, I enjoy this movies by minutes format so much as someone who, and I, I think, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. I know I've said it on others. I don't watch commentary. I know I, I listen to the Ramus commentary track research for, for the podcast. Ordinarily, I have no interest 
in the commentary tracks on a DVD or Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know what the the director or the actors thought. You have two hours in your movie or 100 minutes, however long your movie is. You had your time to give me your message. And if you didn't get your message out in that time, then that's on you. I am- once, the, once the movie's out there, it belongs to us. What do we have to say about it? That's what mm-hmm. I want to know. Yeah, Sorry, not- I cut you off there, Dave. No, no, no. Um- yeah, I, I was thinking a few things that came up when you guys were talking was that, um, you know, when you say he go through a divorce during this movie, I feel like that's this. It's like the same thing that had um, with uh, with Lucas and Spielberg during uh, mm-hmm. Temple of Doom. Yeah, and that yeah. kind of had a, that had that kind of creates this weird feeling that we have that we hear with the Indiana Jones Minute crowd, where they kind of feel like this. And that movie kind of feels wonky at times. Now this movie doesn't feel wonky, and. It is sad that yeah you're right they have a the whole performance is Phil really learns to become a better person but but behind the scenes they're they're arguing about you know the story they're trying to tell and it, I don't I mean I don't know about you know in a movie but I know when you know back when I was doing you know just play acting whether in school or just in community theater yeah it's like that whatever character you're playing as sometimes not all the time. But sometimes that the story, you know, whatever the characters learning in the story, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, like because you, you're doing it multiple times, and then you sit there and you think about whatever the character was going through and your the story that you guys are doing every other night on the stage. You go, yeah, like, yeah, that's a really good lesson to be learned, and you maybe kind of like, but yeah, like I, 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 I'm, but sometimes I for, you know, you forget about like hell, like somebody will come up to me at the theater, and go, oh, remember when you played that? And I go, I forgot, and I feel yeah. bad because <laughs> they remember my performance. Yeah. And however the character was going through on stage, and I was like, I I clearly forgot about. It. I must have had fun, and mm-hmm. then here I go a year <laughs> later or so, and I've kind of like I've I moved past it and, yeah. and kind of uh, autopilot, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so, and then getting the commentary thing, you know that's true. Like I I I used to when I would buy the the Blu-rays or the, the Ultimate Edition, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get everything out of it. And you're right, I always would feel a little underwhelmed on. Uh, the commentary and when you know listening to the director or the actors talk about a scene it was kind of bland because they're kind of talking about it as like a job mm-hmm. and the more they talk about it, the more they tell you these mundane things that happen that make it more boring and like the only times where it's actually interesting is when they talk about that maybe like like i remember watching the inception part and you get to have nolan and his special effects advisors talk about the cool effects they did and you're like oh wow so that's how you did it that's cool but 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 like they're not there's nothing to be gained about the story or the characters really they're mostly just like at least that's good maybe it's a good thing that nolan does that he's just talking about the effects yeah so that's the kind of stuff that the technical side is the stuff that the yeah the movie makers can give you but when you get into interpreting the motivations and what does it mean and 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 the, the deeper stuff that these kind of podcasts get into, I want to, I'm more interested in what the serious observer, what the audience is thinking than, mm-hmm. than what the, um, the, you know, than the, what the filmmaker might have to say. And it, and if it's, and Ramus doesn't go into a lot of detail. He, it's, it's, and it's just Ramus. It's not Bill Murray or any of the other actors or any, anyone else behind the scenes. It's just Harold Ramus alone. And, um, one thing he does, he spends a lot of time saying the dialogue along with with Phil Connors <laughs> slash Bill Murray. Like you could tell, this is one of his favorite. And, and well, I don't know, maybe he does this every 
every commentary track for all his movies, but it's it's funny. Like he he's so you can hear the smile. He's so mm-hmm, satisfied yeah. with what he's done, and I agree. I'm like, yes, it's you know he he says these lines along with Phil Connors um, that he's he's so you know he's so proud. He loves this movie so much, uh, but it, it's fun to listen to. I would I would say yeah. The only person I think who does that who actually really it seems to like smile and enjoy their work is probably Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he does his comedy. Yeah. Yeah, he's always laughing at like the one-liners he's saying on screen, <laughs> or he's talking about like how many times they did that lie. He's like, "Oh, it's really funny." So that, that's that's all right. That's a fun commentary that's, track yeah. to have. You can, like, yeah, you can actually yeah. drink to that. Yeah. All right. Well, so one last time, if if our listeners have enjoyed the sound of your voice, and I'm sure they have. Oh, they have. Where where can they hear more of the great? Kyle Crane. Kyle's an uh, angel. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Dave. <laughs> uh, you can hear me and my brother Brady talking about Ghostbusters, so like we said, another Ramus and Murray joint, mm-hmm. uh, or Jurassic Park. Uh, that'd be Ghostbusters Minute or Jurassic Park Minute. My brother Brady, uh, with his friend Chris McMahon, had a uh, podcast for Goonies, Goonies Minute, uh, so just look for Goonies Minute. So wherever you're getting Groundhog Minute, go out there and just search for Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, or Goonies Minute, and uh, we hope you enjoy those as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they will. And you can also find all those podcasts and plenty more at moviesbyminutes.com. And that'll list all the current uh, current and past Movies by Minutes podcasts. And um, So if there's, if there's a great movie that you enjoy, there's probably someone out there talking about it one minute at a time. And if there isn't, well, then you can start your own damn podcast. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and right, right, the one little button I want to think is, you know, when we, we were talking about, you know, getting, you know, having good mics and then we're talking about commentary. I do hope that's one good thing that, like, we don't think about me too much now because we're all having fun with the movies by minutes. But, hell, maybe in, like, 10 years, like, you know, the next advance, they're looking at these movies and I don't want to. I don't want to be like too too up in my own butt about this. But maybe like our this commentary that we're doing and we're having fun with, maybe it will have some form of research value to the next. Oh sure, you know the yeah. next student that's that's going. They're in their communications class and they're thinking about like, hey, I want something to really go over this movie. And then they find they find a great movies by minutes program with a couple hosts that like put the effort in they got their mics working and they keep paying that you know that podcast fee to keep that that thing running yeah, on the servers yeah. so what maybe would be it, great is if somebody listened to this for research for like a uh, a school paper you know and actually like sourced you know <laughs> groundhog minute is like <laughs> something on a research paper oh my god bibliography with us on it that's good <laughs> Well, as Dave Powell said, minute number thirty-two, you can clearly tell here yeah. that this is the uh, if, uh, the philosophy of Groundhog Minute is the Buddhist philosophy of reincarnation. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, years from now, when people people are studying, uh, you know, Ramus and Bill Murray the way the way we study Shakespeare or someone like that, they'll oh yeah. They'll they'll go to the the Ghostbusters minute and the Groundhog minute and <laughs> hopefully SoundCloud will still be around by that point. They can find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fingers we'll crossed. See. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. and um, well, I also should mention where folks can find out uh, more about us and, and join the conversation and give give feedback and your ideas and and your theories and your feelings on on white chocolate and fudge and all that stuff. Okay. Um, so you can you can find us at groundhogminute.com 
And you can also um, join the conversation on our Facebook listeners group. And that's uh, Gobbler's Knob. And we're also on Twitter at Groundhog Minute. And so that is it for us. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you tomorrow. If there is one. We shall live in the mountains. At high altitude. Let them say your hair's too long.